the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Something going on with Trump again? Yeah. Anyway, love Trump. He's going to handle this one. Let's talk about the serial killer. All right. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, what do they do? They're indicting him for uh, January 6th stuff, it looks like. He just got a letter from that nasty jerk, uh, Jack Smith, a special prosecutor, uh, that crazy guy they found in The Hague hanging around there in that purple costume. He came back uh, married to a, um, a, what is it, a producer of uh, Michelle Obama documentaries, right? What a, what a pair. Gave all kinds of money to Democrats. This is such a con job, the whole damn thing, and the people know it. This is not even desperation. This is like, well, we already did the paperwork. We might as well indict him. I think that's what it is. Is uh, We've already, well, we came this far. I mean, <laughs> yes, he's winning. Yes, he's crushing us. Yes, he's raising money. Um, but we got to do something with this paperwork. I really feel like they're, they're, they think their own strategy has blown up in their face because they thought they would stop him with, uh, remember the Alvin Bragg, Stormy Daniel situation didn't stop him, only helped him. Uh, the E. Jean Carroll phony sexual allegation from 1995 or is it 1994, 1996, 1997, 1992? Um, we don't know because she doesn't know. She doesn't, she, she doesn't remember, she says. Uh, the documents, um, Raiding his place there in August of 2022, last year. Remember that when the FBI busted into Mar-a-Lago? Now the January 6th stuff. So that's one, two, three, four, four matters, four, three criminal indictments, one, uh, one lawsuit, and they all come to a head. They all converge within four months in 2023. It started in March, right? March, the Alvin Bragg thing when he had to turn himself in downtown. And then just a couple of weeks ago with that document nonsense, Eugene Carroll, I can't even remember when that was, but it was over the past four months. So between March and July, all this stuff, all of it, all of it, right here, right now, with the uh, Iowa caucus, what, five months away? I think they're five complete months. You know, it's in January this time around. It's in January. So what do we have? We only have, uh, I'm talking about complete months. We've got August, September, October, November, December, five months. Now, to a lot of people, that sounds like a lot of time. In politics, it's no time. All right, this is it. This is prime time campaigning, raising money. This is it. This is where it happens. And they're hauling him into court, and they're trying to throw him in jail right now. That is, that's criminal right there. This is a criminal abuse of power. And it's kind of amazing because it's not working. We're all seeing it. It only enhances his, uh, quite frankly, our esteem for the guy. Even people who don't like him are realizing this is getting out of hand. And if they can do it to somebody like Trump, who's got a billion dollars, many billions of dollars, internationally famous, a former president of the United States, they can do it to some schnook on the street. They can do it. And the schnooks on the street, like you and me, I don't want it. That's that's too that's too uh, self-abasing. We're no, nobody's a schnook. But you know what I mean. If you don't have uh, these kinds of assets, um, I know that people are kind of holding back, pulling back. I find myself doing it. I find myself doing it. I was writing an email, and I'm like, I'm all fired up about all this crap. You know, wait, should I put it in there? I mean, are they going to read this email? When I say, we got to fight like hell about this stuff. Uh-oh. Do they think I'm going to, am I, do they, will they try to say I'm advocating violence? No, of course not. I'm just, I'm just, you can, you know, I was actually, CNN did a whole special, like Greg Kelly said to fight for Trump. Yeah, fight, write letters. That's what I meant, write letters. Uh, 
Hillary Clinton, her anthem, her anthem in the 2016 campaign was, this is my fight song. This is my fight song. You remember that uh, semi-decent looking girl who sang a, a fight song? Sorry, semi-decent looking. That sounds very misogynistic. It's not misogynistic. I'm just telling you what I remember. Rachel Platten was her name. Beautiful girl, actually. And she made a song about fighting. And Hillary Clinton made it her song anyway. Uh, they can fight. We can't. Ooh, boy, they are just, it really is something out of the Nazi party, something out of the communist. Hey, speaking of Nazi party, I think during the, the Nazi regime in Germany, if you didn't have a Nazi flag in your little shop, that was like, uh-oh, what's wrong with you? Where's your loyalty? I was walking around downtown Manhattan. I noticed every shop, every shop had some sort of gay pride flag in it. And if you didn't, I could. Did I see this? No. Do I have the sense, though? Yes. That if you're not putting that dumb thing on your uh, on your website or in your shop window or if your corporation, you don't have a little section about LGBTQ, whatever, um, that's a that's a problem. And you could be single, signaled out, singled out, and you could have a mob in front of your house. You could have the. Uh, the National Action Network or the Human Rights Campaign or who knows what. So it's better to just go with the flow. Just go along with it. Eh, just give it lip service, right? Don't worry about it. That's all they're looking for, apparently, that and money. Um, all right, so Trump put out on Truth Social that they're coming after him again. And it looks like he's going to get indicted uh, very soon. They want him to show up for the grand jury. This is all related to January 6th. I am a little bit sick of the January 6th stuff. I've done it a million times. I'll, I guess I'll do it again, but I mean, you guys, we all understand that the January sixth thing is a scam, is a is a hoax. It really is, and the, the things that they need to investigate, they won't even acknowledge. The death of Ashley Babbitt, why the cops, some of them, let people in? Why were the doors propped open? Hmm? Why did all those crazy things happen? I've seen video where the cops are just standing there as people come in. Why is that? And why did some of those cops throw a flash grenade into a group of peaceful protesters? And why was the media as outraged as they were? It's amazing because for, um, well, for about two years, but really three months, really three concentrated months, they celebrated and glorified violence related to Black Lives Matter. That was beautiful. That was social and racial justice. And you, speaking of websites and uh, virtue signaling, you had to put a BLM stuff, right? You had to put the BLM decorations all over the place. And if you were a big, big company, you better give money to that corrupt organization, Black Lives Matter. Um, that's uh, so they that was beautiful. That was fine. But a couple of people get mad on January 6th, and it was the ultimate threat to democracy. Now, some of these people on TV and some of these lawmakers, they actually know better. They do in their heart of hearts. They know better. And in their heart of hearts, they were afraid to say anything bad about Black Lives Matter and all the rioting and stuff that we saw in the streets. They were they were they they felt vulnerable. All that stuff about uh, privilege and status, you know, it goes to their head. They get a little bit uneasy, and they can't speak the truth because they've got too much stuff they want to protect. They have too much uh, money, too much status, too much property. They want to keep it all. So what will they do? They'll go along with it. But ha- something happened on January sixth where it was a bunch of um, middle class, quite frankly, some lower middle class, whatever, right? But they were overwhelmingly white. And suddenly the media and all these people who pretended to uh, approve of and uh, like all the Black Lives Matter stuff, they were absolutely incensed by what they saw on January 6th. And I look back at it. I remember there was a huge 
break or a huge gap between what I was seeing and what they were saying. And I've done this before on January 6th. You can go look. You got to look at the footage on January 6th. You got to see what was actually going down. What was actually being shown on television. Not much. <laughs> Not much. People walking around. People walking around. Well, what are you talking about? I saw the cotton. That came out later. Much later. Much later. I've got, um, I, I've looked at all this stuff. I've looked at all the stuff from January 6th. It's amazing what they did not do in that silly January 6th commission. They never actually, like, um, did an inventory of the material that was put out on that day, what people were actually looking at. Um, it's just, it really wasn't bad. But they were so outraged. Almost like they knew it was going to, I don't know, very strange. Hey, don't go to North Korea under any circumstances. It looks like a... Did an American soldier just defect to North Korea? Was it an American guy who ran across the border? Some soldier ran into North Korea and did it on purpose. wasn't like he got lost, wanted to go to North Korea. We've seen this happen before, about a half dozen times mm, over the years, maybe more. Um, it happened It happened about five years ago. It happened a lot in the 50s and 60s, a lot, like four or five times in the 50s and 60s. And if the North Koreans are in a good mood, <laughs> they'll turn you into a celebrity. They'll use you for propaganda. They'll give you an apartment. They'll give you all the food. The food is scarce in North Korea, but if you come uh, as an American, you go over there. There was some soldier. He was 19 years old. He was from North Car- Carolina, and uh, he dropped his weapon and walked away from his American Army unit and walked into North Korea. And they made him a hero over there. And uh, they, they gave him the, quite the life. And they even put him in um, North Korean movies, which stink, by the way. Totally stink. That's why they're always trying to kidnap <laughs> Japanese actresses. And Kim Jong-un, is that his name? He likes the American movies. I got to hand it to Trump, though. The way he went over there and made peace with our enemy, that's what you do. You make peace with our with our enemies. What's going to happen to this guy? I hope, uh, well... I don't know. He's in a world of hurt. The best option for him right now is to stay in North Korea and hope hope that they're going to like you over there. You know, Kim Jong-un is kind of a friend of ours. If Trump becomes president, uh, they just might send you back to America for a court-martial and all kinds of other things. So um, we'll keep our eye on that. Uh, hey, uh, all right. I think the cops did a great job in getting this guy because the new police commissioner and the new District attorney said, we're not screwing around. They both came into office in January of last year. They said, we're going to set up a task force. They did that in February, the middle of February. And then basically two weeks later, they had the guy, uh, Rex Hoyerman, right? And they put together all this information they already had. I went through this yesterday, but again, back in 2010, they knew that the guy drove an avalanche. They knew that he was six foot five inches tall. Um, Within 18 months, they knew that he was living in or making the calls from at least Massapequa Park. Uh, they also know that the calls were coming from Midtown Manhattan and that he was likely a commuter. You put those things into one pot, which is not a lot of data. You can figure that out. You can figure it out as Rex Hoyerman in Massapequa Park. You can. And these guys did a great job. They figured it out. Beforehand, uh, that crazy, uh, I'm sorry, but that police department run by Jimmy Burke. Was that his name? Jim Burke? Crazy man. Total crazy, man. A lunatic in charge. They threw him in jail. 
And the word is that he loved prostitutes, and uh, he was afraid that the FBI was going to find out about his situation with the prostitutes. Not saying he's the killer, but he was into all kinds of stuff they didn't want anybody knowing about. He didn't want anybody knowing about. And then he was really good friends with the district attorney, Spoda, and he got involved somehow. The DA and the police chief, both corrupt. They both went to federal prison. So if you wonder why this case wasn't solved, that's a big chunk of it right there, I believe. So now they got professionals in charge. However, I think they may need a new spokesman. I don't know. Um, I actually caught a little bit of CNN last night, and uh, this is the deputy commissioner, right? The deputy commissioner of the Suffolk Police. I think we got this ready, right? And the thing I asked, um, this was about 10 o'clock last night. Go ahead. You're searching his home. What have you found so far? So as um, as previously, you know, uh, was was presented was, you know, a lot of different uh, guns and rifles, you know, among other things that, uh, you know, our task force members and everybody involved with the investigation really going to take the uh, the house all the way down to the studs uh, to find out exactly uh, what's in Rex's home. Well, what have you hey, found Isn't so that far? weird, by the way? They call him Rex. He's calling him by his first name. Rex. How about Hoyerman, the last name? Uh, <laughs> that's just weird. All right. Well, tell us what you found in the house. Like doll that was removed. What, what's that about? They're they're taking. Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, a, you know a lot of talk uh, about the doll, and as of now, from where we are, we're just processing every bit of uh, whether it's evidence or pieces of you know things in the household that we're going to take and we're going to analyze it. Now, for you to get to the point where you're looking at a pizza crust, obviously, this is a person who has been a suspect for likely longer than it's been told in the public eye. What was the process of getting this case warm again to the point where you chose to look at the DNA samples or try to get some indication from this suspect in connection with these murders? How did we get I there? Think, yeah, uh, it's a great question. And I think when we go all the way back to, you know, how we conduct an investigation, we, we take a look, and when we have a potential lead, we exhaust that lead, and we continue to, you know, examine until the point comes where maybe that person can be eliminated. All right. You know what? When you go on TV, you better have something to say, and this guy did not have much to say. And it goes on like this for about 15 excruciatingly uh, information-bereft minutes. Uh, rule of thumb. Whether you're the deputy police commissioner or uh, some guy, don't go on TV unless you got something to say, especially if someone's asking you questions. Because it goes on like this. He says absolutely nothing. He says stuff I know the answer to because it was in the damn press conference on Friday and it was in that uh, document they, they released. But this guy knew nothing, said nothing. All right. So better luck next time. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, uh, good luck to the new New York City Police Commissioner. Uh, what's his name? Edward Caban. Um, let's see. He's been an officer since uh, uh, the 90s, and uh, I don't know too much about him, but uh, let's listen to what he sounds like. Hopefully he'll stick around for a while because, quite frankly, it's been a bit of a revolving door when it comes to police commissioners. We've had uh, five or six over the past nine years and barely making it two years. Cut two, please. The new police commissioner. Today, I hope there is a young man, a college student or a military veteran who hears about my new assignment today and it sparks the question, what if? 
What if what? What? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I am humbled to be on your team, to have your trust and support, and to lead the greatest police department on the globe. Now, it's not lost on me that today's announcement is also a first. Huh? Given how many great leaders of Hispanic descent have come before me in the NYPD, to be the first Hispanic police commissioner is an honor of the highest measure. Is he? I don't know. I guess. Is that a big deal anymore? Do we real? Are we going to have a first everything? Okay, okay. We did have I think, Raphael Pinero. He was the first deputy police commissioner, but I don't know. Is, is that the way we look at the world? Um, well, look, good luck. We just want him to do a good job and uh, and make sure the uh, the city is safe. Right? Right? Hello, Larry. What's up? Yeah, Greg. Uh, I wanted to comment on that reporter uh, asking that question to uh, 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 the to the deputy police commissioner, and he couldn't answer it. You pointed out he had nothing to say. He what he said was just general. He answered with general police work. Well, we had a lead. What lead? He didn't yeah, say nothing. I know, right? So I mean, what? Yeah, go. I'm sorry. Keep going. So that tells me that they suspended this investigation. There was no reason they suspended it. Nothing warmed it up. They suspended it, perhaps because this Boyerman knows stuff about other people. Okay. And no, now, now, now you're losing me. I don't think I, I don't know if it was ever suspended. Was the investigation ever suspended? You say suspended. Well, he said he asked why was it warmed up suddenly. So I, I'm not saying. Well, I mean, suspended. look, a lot of people are talking about this case who did not read the presentment and did not read the bail document and did not watch the press conference on Friday, including, by the way, that guy on the TV. <laughs> we, as we go to he. <laughs> so I, I don't see anything nefarious here. I do th- see some major screw ups by the previous administration. Uh, that kind of is obvious now. 13 years. Way too long. Larry, I thank you. There's the music. Be right back. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So it's it's so wild. They are about to indict President Trump again, and it's like no big whoop. All right. I still love the guy. I'm still going to vote for him. Uh, it really doesn't. Uh, I'm not perturbed. The shock, the shock value. I mean, it's gone. It's gone. We know what's going on. We know there are corrupt prosecutors. It happens. It's real. We're seeing it before our eyes. Uh, I think good is going to triumph over evil. The the moment I really kind of felt the earth move and I couldn't believe what the hell was going on was August 8th of 2022 when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this was happening in my country. And uh, I was really kind of shattered. I was I was I was really upset by that. Uh, but since then, I um I know the score. I know the other side is uh, not playing fair. Not only are they not playing fair, they're playing illegally. They are playing illegally what they're doing here. All these things coming to a head now. This is election interference. Is all those things. I got a great big statement from President Trump. I'll read that in a second. Um, but it's you know like I'm, <laughs> it's it is what it is. We're going to have this. He's going to win. He's going to win. I don't know how. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know, but I know he will win. I know it. I know it. Uh, then there's this. Okay, back to the serial killer. Um, his family. We're hearing from the family, and I told you I have compassion for the family. Um, embarrassed and disgusted. They are embarrassed and disgusted and surprised they didn't know about this. The first word that we heard from the serial killer, alleged serial killer, Hoyerman, 
after he was arrested. Well, I guess we heard from his lawyer that he was crying and he said, I didn't do this. And then he asked the jailer, the people who worked at the jail, is it in the news? <laughs> As these serial killers, they love to, they love to make news. And apparently this is a big thing for this guy. He knew all the documentaries. He loved bringing it up in conversation. Probably gave him some weird power trip. And the other thing is he may be on suicide watch, which kind of makes sense. James Flippin. What what else is going on with this thing? Hey, Greg, yeah, so we know he's at an undisclosed Suffolk County jail, Rex Huerman, on suicide watch. Not clear at this point if that was requested by him, if some health uh, professional recommended that, that he be put on that suicide watch. It wouldn't be requested by him. I know that. If you want to kill yourself... You know, you don't say, hey, keep an eye on me because I want to kill myself. Well, maybe he made comments suggesting that he was suicidal, in other words. I I don't know. Right, but, but he didn't ask for the watch. Yeah, I guess I guess technically speaking, he wouldn't be the one that asked for it. But, you know, his his uh background in terms of like what you're talking about, this braggadocious nature concerning the alleged crimes is coming up now in some of these other reports we're seeing. I don't know if you read the New York Post this man and woman who were working on a project in Crown Heights. I think it was like an old building that was being renovated by him. Yeah. Uh, the woman gave him a ride home one time, uh-huh. and they actually discussed the Gilgo Beach murders. Yeah, he loved bringing, bringing it up. What do you think about those murders? You think he'll ever catch the guy? What do you think? Pretty weird. Probably giving him a real side weirdo look. Mm-hmm. Hey, one thing is starting to bother me, though. Everyone's like this big, ugly beast. Now, there are a lot of reasons to hate this guy. But his appearance, quite frankly, is fine. All right. There's nothing wrong with his appearance. I mean, he's tall. In he's, retrospect, you want to throw it off. But a lot of people look like that. And, right. and I, I don't think they're ugly. I think I, I mean, I, I just can't. We can't go around saying things like that. No, I, I think if anything, it's significant that he's quite that tall. I mean, six five is, is pretty significant. You That's can tall. see him from space and they should have seen him. I already went through it all in Massapequa Park, Avalanche, uh, six foot five, ogre looking like guy. They had this information in 2012. And now they're searching in South Carolina for potentially additional evidence, I guess. So his brother Craig, who, uh, killed the cop all the way back in 1988, accidentally, but he did kill him, lives down there in South Carolina. I guess they're still tight. It's weird. Hey, do me a favor. Um, stand by for a second. Yes, Al, what can I do for you? Yeah, hi, Greg. Nice to speak to you. Uh, you know, I want to say in regards to, the implications made from uh, some in the news on the radio that uh, Chief Burke, who was head of the department, and uh, Spada, who had a protege-mentor relationship, uh, right now that's unsubstantiated. Well, wait so a I second. Think- now, hold on a second. I never implicated. I, I, I don't think what's-his-name Burke was killing people, but uh, there's a hell of a lot of substantiation to the idea that this guy was undermining the FBI did not want the feds all over this case because it might have led to uh, revelations about his own uh, proclivities when it comes to, well, prostitutes and a lot of other stuff. Al. Oh, yeah. No, I, I didn't impl- I mean to say that you had anything. No, to but say I mean, but I, what I just said, though, what yeah, I just said, you know, that's true. As you know, in law enforcement, your father was the police commissioner for many years. Really? Uh, it's not it's not unusual for law enforcement agencies to not want somebody to come into their There's church. sometimes competition. There's, there's competition. There's rivalry. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, hey, um, Burke went to prison. All right? Burke went to prison. And anybody who knows anything about Suffolk County knows that that was uh, just one of the weirdo things that was going on with Burke. Okay? So you got the DA goes to jail. The chief of police goes to jail. 
something tells me, you know, just a vague sense I have that the department and the county, they weren't thriving with that kind of leadership. Know what I mean? I mean, overall, right? Yeah, I just think, you know, uh, maybe we're getting ahead of No, Al, listen, it's a tangential thing. All right. And oh, by the way, I hear that Burke just got out of prison. Yeah, a couple of years, I think a while ago. No, 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 no. I heard that just the other day you got out of prison, actually. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. All right. Hey, what's your connection to all this? No, I just, you know, I keep up on current events, and I know when uh, Chief Burke got in trouble, uh, him and Spada had a relationship going back maybe 40 years. I think uh, yeah, Chief Burke, back to that kid, murder. Oh, back to the murder. Boy, the murder. I mean, which is another bizarre thing. It's a totally bizarre, weirdo thing. And I'm sorry, but I think when you got that kind of baggage, you don't make the dude the, the chief of police. That's right. Burke is a teenager. There was a notorious killing of another teenager. I don't think Burke did it, but I think he may have been there and he may have had all kinds of information. I don't know if he was there or not, but I know that there was a hell of a lot of uh, uh, dust. Let's call it dust. Al, thank you very much. Do you familiar with that? Well, I mean, the, the Burke uh, case that got him arrested and eventually put in prison was very bizarre. And I don't feel like we ever really learned that much regarding sort of the surrounding circumstances. You know, well, I know some of them. There were a whole bunch of sex toys in the back of uh, Burke's uh, uh, vehicle, and pornographic and, material. And right? this guy stole it. And um, and uh, that that very much upset him. But look, the guy's got to get on with his life. And I don't think he's a serial killer. So, um, you know, the, the, the best of luck to that guy. He paid his penalty, went to jail. So let's leave him alone for the time being, unless something else comes up. Um, wait, there's one other thing I wanted to do here. Andrew, what is it? Hey, what's up, Greg? I like you, so I'll say, Greg Kelly, the sweetest guy in the world. Remember that one on the honeymooner? No. Ralph Cramden, the sweetest guy in the world. That's the one where... I don't... I, I, I Keep going. What's your point today, okay? We can't talk about that show. As much as I love it, it's now 70 years old. The... um. And when you come up with the quote out of left field, it even stumps me. Trump is uh, exonerated because he it's on record. Democrats even admit that he wanted the 15,000 troops, the National Guard. So if he was trying to. They actually don't admit that. They don't admit that. That's kind of an interesting point. They don't admit that. And and if he, and when they say he wanted the military, then they try to say, you see, he's, he was actually trying to ha- he was trying to have a coup. He was trying to have a coup. They don't admit that. Caitlin Collins stood up to his face and said, uh, no, uh, we heard directly the opposite from uh, your Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller. He said the opposite, which he didn't say the opposite. It's just they don't give him credit on anything, on anything, anything he did. You know, if he did something good, they say he did the opposite, or they deny he did something good. It's just it, they will not give the guy any. Hey, I just saw the special prosecutor walk out of uh, walk out of a subway. He bought lunch at a subway. What kind of special prosecutor eats at subway? If I were a special prosecutor, where would I eat? I guess I'd. <laughs> they don't. It, what, Jersey Mike's. It's not. It's not any special job. I guess. It's a. He's just a. He's just a government lawyer. I think he went to SUNY Oneonta, and uh, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what job you have. You can eat. I haven't been to Subway in a long time because I don't eat the. Uh, I don't like the. Uh, what do you call it? The rolls. The the bread. I don't eat the bread anymore. Andrew, you have one more thing to say about that. I just want to say Nancy Pelosi and Mayor Bowser, they turned down the troops knowing the amount of people, and they would say, well, we didn't know there was going to be any violence, but you have the right number of law enforcement according to how many people are going to show up there. 
You m- oh, like, uh, they did not have the right amount of law enforcement. Right, they, right. they had one guy. I know what you mean about that. It gets rather complex about the authorization, you know, who's entitled to, I guess it needs a presidential authorization, but then it needs a, a local order, and that order goes to the president, then it goes to the secretary of the army, and then the secretary. It's all a little bit convoluted. Um, but Donald Trump did the right thing every step of the way, and I know, I have it. I know, they were lying. They were lying whenever they opened their mouth, especially that Liz Cheney. Uh, total lies. Thank you, uh, thank you, Andrew, very much. What happened to the rain? It was just so crazy about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, well, I mean, I, we're talking about potential for storms all afternoon, I guess, but maybe it's tapered off a bit. All right. So should we talk about that, uh, that guy? No, we'll, sk- you want to talk about that guy? You talk about the New York Times? Yeah. Well, like, before we do that, why don't you come back? We'll talk about that because okay. I got to go through this, uh, Trump statement, which is important. And then we're going to talk about, there's a gay sports announcer in Fredericksburg, Virginia, who really wants to be discriminated against and have things thrown at him, and he wants to be called names because that will give him victim status, and victim status is a very high status in America, right? That for is, some people. That is true, yeah. There's something to be said for that. It's an amazing piece. The guy's living his dream. He's doing exactly what he wants to do, being a baseball announcer for a minor league team. He's 24 years old. Sky's the limit. Have at it. Live your life. Go for it. And everywhere he goes... You know I'm gay, right? Do you hate me for that? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm gay. Yeah. You got a problem with that? <laughs> I think I got a problem with you. Not you're, that you're gay, just with you. Whatever your name is. Bach. Eric Bach, I think. Sounds like a piano player, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, actually. All right. Thank you. And uh, here's what Trump said. Here's what he put out. Uh, should I go through the whole thing? Wow! The statement is by Donald Trump, 45th President of the United States. Wow! On Sunday night, while I was with my family, having just arrived from the Turning Point event in Florida, where I won the straw poll against all the other Republican candidates with 85.7% of the votes, okay, with all polls showing me leading in the Republican primary by very substantial numbers, almost everyone predicting I will be the nominee for president, as I am leading Democrat Joe Biden in the polls by a lot, horrifying news for our country was given to me by my attorneys deranged Jack Smith, the prosecutor with Joe Biden's DOJ, sent a letter, again, it was Sunday night, stating that I am a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always mean means an arrest and indictment. So now Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, who I turned down for the United States Supreme Court, in retrospect, based on his corrupt and unethical actions, a very wise decision. I love it. <laughs> Just love these little asides. They're perfect. They're great. Together with Joe Biden's Department of Injustice, have effectively issued a third indictment and arrest of Joe Biden's number one political opponent, who is largely dominating him in the race for the presidency. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before or even close. They illegally spied on my campaign. He's right. They attacked me with a totally fake dossier that was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign. He's right. They impeached me twice. I won. They failed on the Mueller witch hunt. No collusion. He's right. They failed on the Russia, 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 Russia hoax. The 51 intelligence agents fraud. The FBI Twitter files. The DOJ Facebook censorship. And every other scam imaginable. Good for him to get this all out. But on top of that, they have now effectively indicted me three times. The GOJ staffed and runs the Department of uh, 
The DA's office in Manhattan. That's true. Federal people are in the DA's office in Manhattan. I think that's against the law. With a probable fourth coming from Atlanta. Oh, gosh. Are they really going to go forward in Atlanta? That's the biggest crime of all. That, that, if they, if they dare do something like that. And you know what's really upsetting to me? They've taken protest off the table. We can't go out and protest. This is America. You're allowed to peaceably assemble and air your grievances. But after January 6th, you get too many MAGA people in one spot. Everybody starts uh, getting very nervous. And, ooh, ooh, something could happen. And, look, I feel it myself. I do. So they have effectively taken that off the table. And it's not right. It's not right. Let's see here. Probable forthcoming Atlanta. Um, the witch hunt is all about election interference and a complete and total political weapon, weaponization of law enforcement. It is a very sad and dark period for our nation. You're damn right. Wow, he goes on. Under the United States Constitution, I have the right to protest an election that I am fully convinced was rigged and stolen, just as the Democrats have done against me in 2016 and many others have done over the ages. But the Democrats have gone much further than has ever happened before. They cheated on the elections. Rather than looking at the cheaters, the weaponized DOJ and FBI target and harass those who complain about the cheaters and the massive fraud that took place. This is so true. This is golden. The prosecutor involved in this case, and likewise, the boxes hoax, the Manhattan and Atlanta district attorneys, the New York AG, etc., has been overturned unanimously in the Supreme Court, headed and caused the lowest learner IRS scandal, and failed miserably in his prosecution of John Edwards, where the case was forced to be dropped, along with numerous other catastrophes. He has had a vicious but disastrous career and is a known biased and obsessed Trump hater, as is his family. Whether it's their failure to mention the Presidential Records Act, the dominance of the Manhattan DA, including the fact that, okay, then you get into all kinds of names here. I will I will continue. This is important. And n- very few people in the world would have the courage to write like this, to write the truth so boldly. We shouldn't be afraid of the truth. So many people are. Thank God he's not. I'll be back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, it's pretty awesome. The new police commissioner, uh, I say new, he got the job a year and a half ago, Rodney Harrison. One of the very first things he did was um, go out to Gilgo Beach and look around for himself. He wanted to see it for himself as they were forming that new task force that um, that solved this case, that figured it out. And uh, it took new leadership. It took uh, fresh eyes. And um, uh, congratulations to him and the whole team out there. Uh, you know about my frustrations about what happened uh, before. Hey, does anybody like Joe Manchin? I don't think so. I, uh, Joe Manchin is, um, is this guy going to be, he may run as a no labels party. Have you heard of no labels? It's, uh, I don't know. I'm not impressed. It's a bunch of rich people who uh, basically are masquerading the fact that they, they just want a Democrat of their own choosing <laughs> and they hate Trump. Um, the great Maria Bartiromo interviewed Donald Trump, and this is the same question I asked him um, in April about a vice presidential pick, and I could tell. he was. I was like, have you thought about it? And he didn't want to say a name, but now he's saying names. And um, let's see here. Cut 13. Is there anyone on that stage you see as potential running mate? 
as your VP? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think you have some good people on the stage, actually. I think you have some very talented people. I've been impressed by some of them. Some of them I'm very friendly with, actually. Uh, a number of them called me up, not to ask for permission, but sort of to ask for permission to say they'd like to do it. A number of the people up there, uh, I'm not going to embarrass them by saying who, but no, I, I think you have good people. I think you have good potential cabinet members, too, actually. Uh, who would that? Well, who, I don't want to mention that. I think I can't. Do but. you see yourself perhaps with a senator, Tim Scott? I think he's a very good guy. We did Opportunity Zones together. It's uh, never been talked about. It's one of the most successful economic development things ever done in this country. And Tim is very good. I mean, I, I could see Tim doing something with the administration, but uh, he's in right now campaigning. And I'm sure Tim and everybody else would say, I'm only interested in one. But Tim is a talented guy, and uh, you have other very talented people. All right. So he didn't bring the name up. She brought it up. I don't think Tim Scott would be the best pick. I don't think he'll be the best pick. I don't think he should be picked. Career politician, great guy, maybe president someday in a 12 years or so, but not now. He's uh, he's just not experienced enough uh, in life and uh, in other ways. I just um, I don't think he's got it. I know some people say he's got it. I don't think he's got it. Maybe someday. Uh, now, if President Trump did pick him, I'd be all in. I'd be all in. I mean, he's going to be a million times better than Kamala Harris, right? Uh, totally. Hey, do you want to hear the uh, rest of that? Can I hear that police commissioner again? This is the deputy police commissioner going on television from Suffolk County saying absolutely nothing. Uh, why would you do that? Uh, but maybe, maybe I'm being too harsh. Let's listen. The case with Rex, every investigative step that we took failed to eliminate him. And it caused the, the task force to continue and narrow their focus. And while he became a person of interest, every step that we took led us further and further down that road. How long has he been a person of interest? He's been a person of interest for quite some time now. More than a year? Quite some time. Why are you, why are you not saying how long? Is it because there has not been a presentation of, to the media of any kind of what you were looking at I, or hoping maybe not to have no. him be aware? I, I think just in, in the terms of, you know, an active investigation, I think it's very important that um, there's nothing that we want to do that would compromise this investigation in any way. All right. Now, that's so that. weird. That's so weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. What did, what did she say then? As a former prosecutor, have you found any items belonging to the victims that he may have kept in some way, perhaps as some of the psyche of alleged, uh, alleged serial killers, sometimes as souvenirs. Are you finding anything from the victims in the possession of his residence, a right. storage unit, his office, anywhere? So the task force members, they yeah. are examining no, they're examining. No answer. No answer again. Say something. And by the way, the DA said it was March of last year when his name came uh, came up. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, should we go to the White House and find out about our uh, soldier who walked into North Korea? Has Karine Jean-Pierre ever uh, steered us wrong before? <laughs> uh, let's see what's going on. Oops, we're going to hook it up there and go live to the White House. Uh, she's standing in a place that used to be the White House swimming pool. Uh, used to be the White House swimming pool right there. And now it's got a podium and a microphone and a bunch of cameras. Uh, and uh, is it about time? All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's do it now.
as well as um, as as others who are currently working on this together. Uh, we've been in touch with the Korean People's Army, as the Department of Defense has done. Just don't have any more to share beyond that. Secondly, the Houston Chronicle is reporting that Texas troopers were told to push migrant children into the Rio Grande River. What steps is the administration taking to verify this report and address the findings? So I saw we saw those reports clearly. Um, if they are true. Uh, it is abhorrent, it is despicable, uh, it is dangerous, and we're talking about the bedrock values of who we are as a country and the indecency, the human indecency that we're seeing, uh, potentially, if this is true, uh, is just wrong. It is just completely, completely wrong. Uh, but I would say, sadly, it would not be surprising uh, from a governor uh, who, um, let's not forget, on Christmas Eve, put migrant children on the streets in below zero degree temperature. That's I don't know what, what they're talking about. Is there, a, is there a story about uh, pushing kids into the Rio Grande? I don't think that happened. I know that didn't happen. I know that didn't happen. I think there's a bit of a mm, lying going on. All right. Nobody, no, no, no law enforcement individual put a child in the river. All right. And just like they lied about the customs officers, the border patrol guys, on those horses. Remember that? Now they were whipping everybody, right? Whipping everybody. No, they were whipping the horses. <laughs> I mean, like, you can whip a horse, right? And they were also, they had these little, um, look, what do I know from being a cowboy? But uh, they were not whipping anybody. They totally were not whipping anybody. The guy I was talking about is James Dresnock. He was an American defector to North Korea all the way back in uh, the 60s and became quite the star in North Korea. That's uh it's one of the most bizarre stories in the world. Uh I got a little portion here. He he talked about what life was like for himself. Again, a an American soldier defects America, leaves America and uh joins the crew over there in North Korea. How about that one? I'm going to fire that one up for you in a moment. Uh the other thing is, now Republicans, some of them are getting very nervous about Trump, but these are the weak Republicans. People like Asa Hutchinson, or as I call him, Ada, for numerous reasons. Uh, there's Ada Hutchinson, who just put out a big statement. Donald Trump must get out of the race because of this phony indictment. I have said from the beginning that Donald Trump's actions on January 6th should disqualify him from ever being president again. As a former federal prosecutor, I understand the severity of grand jury investigations and what it means to be targeted by such an investigation. Donald Trump has confirmed that he is a target of this investigation and will likely be indicted again. While Donald Trump would like the American people to believe that he is a victim in this situation, the truth is that the real victims of January 6th were our democracy, our rule of law, and those Capitol Police officers who work valiantly to protect our Capitol. This guy is what? Who is Liz Cheney, his campaign manager? Anyone who truly loves this country and is willing to put the country over themselves would suspend their campaign for president of the United States immediately. It is disappointing that Donald Trump refuses to do so. Everybody should vote for me, Asa Hutchinson. I was the governor of Arkansas, and I'm currently running for the Republican nomination to be your president. Well, Ada Hutchinson, get lost. <laughs> you, uh, not happening. Not, the other one who's making noise like this is um, Nikki Haley. 
who does not des- belong in a, you know, negotiating room with Vladimir Putin. She belongs in the fourth grade. And she could be the teacher of the fourth grade, but she definitely belongs uh, around fourth graders. Not with Vladimir Putin, not with President Xi, not near the nuclear button. She is a, uh, you know, make brownies. That's great. We need people who make brownies. Um, that's what you would be very good at. Nikki Haley, unbelievable. They're all falling away so badly, so badly. You know, on one of these days, when... Uh, DeSantis, when DeSantis drops out, I'm going to have to break it out because I predicted in July of last year that the guy would be a total and utter flop. A total and utter flop because he doesn't have it. He doesn't have campaign skills. He doesn't have people skills. He's weird. And he needed to work on that stuff. It was um, way premature. And in 20 years, in 20 years, he's going to be 15 years younger than President Trump is right now. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? So plenty of time. He, um, he needs a hell of a lot more seasoning. And, you know, he's not the first governor to be reelected by a wide margin. That does not mean you're the next president of the United States. Ask George Pataki, right? <laughs> ask, uh, hell, ask Andrew Cuomo. I mean, when, since when did that become such a big deal? That he was, oh, he was reelected with, uh, with 60% of the vote. Well, most incumbents are. A lot of incumbents are. And getting back to, uh, the Trump and the, uh, the big statement he put out, he's right. You know, rather than looking at the cheaters, the weaponized DOJ and FBI target and harass those who complain about the cheaters. Just really summed it up so well right there. Um, whether it's their failure to mention the Presidential Records Act, their dominance of the Manhattan DA, including the fact that a Hillary Clinton lawyer, Mark Pomerantz, left a top Democrat law firm run by Chuck Schumer's brother to join the DA's office and become a prosecutor against me and then quit against all rules and regulations and laws when the office would not prosecute. He wrongfully wrote a book while working at the office and is now under scrutiny or a perfect phone call made by me to many lawyers and the secretary of state without any protestation on my call because nothing that was said was wrong. He's talking about the call to the Atlanta people. How does he, you know, there are some things I want to know about Trump that I don't know. Um, like how does he sleep at night? Not how does he sleep with all this stuff on his mind, but how does he sleep? Like what time does he go to bed? Uh, when does he get up? What's his morning routine? What does he have for breakfast? Um, I, I just like these little things. Does he wear pajamas? Does he wear a sweatsuit? I mean, everybody has their routine. And sometimes that really humanizes somebody. You know, everybody, what do they say? Everybody puts their pants on in the morning, right? Everybody, and uh, one leg at a time. No man is a hero to their valet. I'm just curious. And, I, you know, I read in his book, Art of the Deal, that he only needs four hours of sleep a night. Uh, I remember at the time, I don't think I believed that. Now I kind of believe that. It's like, yeah, he operates on a different frequency. There's something else going on. And uh, it's impressive, and it's quite frankly fun to watch. But it's also important. And uh, thank God we got this guy when we got him. <laughs> it's it's a blessing. It is a blessing. Nobody else could put up with this. Nobody. Jerry and Passaic, hello. Yeah. What I want to say, the, the what that's going on is an absolute disgrace that what seven eight different investigations because they know they can't win they heck what are they going to run on if you go through the history of them they were the party that's what almost with the country in half the party of slavery the party of, 
of the then the plantation was the plantation. Now the new plantation is a plantation of welfare and basically illiterate people. I mean, it's a disgrace. They don't they don't have it. The only thing they stand for is evil and evil and mean and heartless and soulless. Wait a second. What do you mean about the illiterate people? What are you talking about there? You know, like going back to the time of the Civil War, the party, the party, the party of slavery was the party of Mr. Biden. Then they became the party of, you know, we fought a war over. And the plantation was where the where the people worked and didn't get paid. And now the new plantation is welfare and all all this ignorance and illegal and what's going on in this massive, you know, these massive riots and everything else. That's the people that support them, the people that are ill-educated, ill-informed and want something for nothing. And some people, and everything is good, except I'll offer this. There are some people who are hyper-educated, hyper-informed. Uh, granted, they get their news from the fake news and all their knowledge from uh, uh, liberal crazy universities, but who have signed up for this uh, as well. And, um, you know, I can read all about it. So can you in Mark Levin's uh, book, which is coming up. What is it called again? Um, the Democrat Party Hates America, something like that. He's great. And it's great that he's on this. Uh, he's tuning in tonight at six o'clock. Thank you uh, very much. And I want to get this little tape where Donald Trump finally says, I just want to find... Enough votes where I know they're out there. I know they're out there. You're allowed to say that. We talked to Dershowitz, Professor Dershowitz. No, that's not a criminal act. It's not a criminal act to say, I want to find something. It's just not. He didn't say, I want you guys to make a bunch of phony votes for me and put them in a box. He didn't say that. You could argue that would be illegal. I would even argue that's illegal. It wasn't illegal. All right, do you want to hear about this guy, the uh, the defector? His name is Dresnok, and he defected into North Korea. And they welcomed him, and he started a family. And he has a son who's over there right now, who's a big star in North Korea. So, you know, but um, and he sp- he learned fluent Korean and everything. All right, let's go. This is the man whose very existence the United States and North Korea denied for over forty years. Private Joe Dresnock of the United States Army defected to communist North Korea in 1962 at the height of the Cold War. Remarried with two sons, he lives there to this day. Now, for only the second time in 45 years, Joe Dresnock has agreed to appear in public, speaking exclusively to Al Jazeera at a hotel in Pyongyang. But it was an earlier family breakup and the threat of court-martial for what he says were minor misdemeanors that finally drove Dresnock to defect. So I made up my mind at dinner time, when everyone was having lunch, I just grabbed a shotgun with about ten rounds of ammunition and made for the DMZ. And then I run across to the 38th parallel, come into the north, and I was picked up by the Korean People's Army soldiers and... Uh, that's what it was. Comrade Joe, as he's known, says he has no regrets. He praises the leadership of the great leader Kim Il-sung and the dear leader Kim Jong-il, here pictured taking the salute at a recent rally celebrating the anniversary of the founding of the Korean state. The dear leader knows me, and he takes care of me. 
great men. Presnock learned to speak Korean. He lives with his wife and sons in a Pyongyang apartment and says he's happy with his rations and free health care. And in a remarkable twist, Dresnok has also played bit part roles as American soldiers in propaganda movies directed by Kim Jong Il. Is that weird or what? This guy's from North Carolina. He's from North Carolina. It's just so crazy. And he speaks Korean and everything like that. He's dead now. He's dead now. Another guy who was with him um, said, screw it. I don't like North Korea. There's not enough to eat. I can't stand this place. He was there for many years, and he came back a few years ago. Um, he was like 75 years old. He left when he was 20. He left America when he was 20. So uh, what happened was he, um, they gave him a uniform, and they put him back in the Army, and um, they tried him. <laughs> they court-martialed him, and they figured, well, he's been through enough in North Korea and all, so they just gave him a dishonorable discharge, and then it was back to uh, back home to uh, his family, what left, what was left of it. And um, strangely enough, his mother, I think, was was still alive. He was 75 years old. His mother was 100. And he got re- reunited with his mother. Huh? Weird stuff in the world. But it's a fascinating world. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, this is Rex. Um, from the BNI group, I, I actually heard you are no longer part of the group. But I still wanted to talk to you. I had a question for you. Uh oh. Um, and also wanted to touch base. So if you get an opportunity, you can always try me at the office, or feel free to use my cell. Uh, hope you're doing good. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks. Sounds like a lot of people you know, right? Very ordinary voice. Nothing wrong with that voice, except for the part where he says, "This is Rex." Like, that's like a big deal. This is Rex. Hey, this is Rex. Yeah, right? This is Rex. This is your lucky day because Rex is calling you. That is um, Hoyerman, uh, Rex Hoyerman, the alleged serial killer. But um, when can we stop saying alleged, right? I mean, the overwhelming evidence is, uh, well, anyway, you got to do You got to go through the motions more than through the motions. We have a process. But look, I'm not I'm not going to be on the jury. I can say it, right? I can say it. Hey, we have this news piece of <laughs> shows you how phony it is all across the board here. Joe Biden has just announced that his campaign headquarters will be in Wilmington, Delaware. Will be in Wilmington, Delaware. Now he's been running for president officially for four months, and they don't have a presidential headquarters. Isn't that a little odd? Why not? Now, I do believe that ultimately he's not going to be the nominee, and he knows it, and everybody else knows it um, on that team. They can't. It can't be him. They can't get away with this uh, uh, fraud for much longer. They can't. They're going to get caught. And the longer he's out there, you know, somebody said he doesn't even have to campaign. He's doing that well. Now, when he goes out and campaigns, that's when, they, that's when they're vulnerable because that's when people see. That's when he can trip over a sandbag. So they're not going to let that happen. Um, Delaware is, uh, and he's saying, oh, it's in Delaware. I am a proud son of the state of Delaware. I can see being proud of New York if you're like in Oklahoma. You know, they say, where are you from? I'm from New York. You know, ooh, that's got some cachet, right? You know, I'm a New Yorker. Um, I'm from Delaware. That's not going to get anybody anywhere. Delaware, smaller than Suffolk County, puny little state, uh, backwards mores. Not everybody, but a lot. 
has a lot of, uh, well, it's just a backwards small place. It's too small to be a state. And you have a guy like Joe Biden become a senator at the age of 29. Where else does that happen? <laughs> um, by the way, I found an article from 1976. It's um, Joe Biden going on an overseas trip with his brother. And they're like, uh, you're not allowed to do that. You're sometimes allowed to t- take your wife, but you can't take your brother. And it was an all-expense-paid trip by the government. And it looks like his brother, Frank Biden, who now makes his living as a, well, one of the many gigs he's doing is a non-attorney spokesperson for a major Florida law firm. Imagine hanging around a law firm and you're the non-attorney spokesperson for that firm. And what does he say he can do? He can, he'll meet with you anytime, any place, anywhere in the state of Florida. Well, what can a non-attorney do for you, right? The whole thing is Frank Biden, the name Frank Biden. It's actually a TV commercial. I'll have it when we come back. And um, this is not Rex. Oh, boy. A lot of people had near misses with this guy. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So uh, here's that announcement I was telling you about. Joe Biden, uh, it's a phony campaign, and they looked around. They realized, you know what? We haven't actually established a campaign headquarters. I think we're supposed to do that, right, at least for appearance purposes. And they still haven't done it yet, but they say they will set one up. Is it in Philadelphia? No. Is it in uh, Washington, D.C., which would be the most convenient, logical place? No. New York? No. Um, no, they wouldn't have it in New York, but they'd have it in D.C. That's the place to do it. No, instead they do it in Wilmington, Delaware, which is a pain in the neck for everybody. Listen to this. Don't tell me things can't change. They can and they do. That's America. That's Delaware. Place of hope and light and limitless possibilities. Even when he's trying to be hopeful and optimistic, it sounds nasty. Don't tell me. Things can't change. Who the hell's telling him things can't change? Everything changes. It's a fact of life. Everything changes. Hope, opportunity, Delaware. Mean guy. And, you know, they've got to be nervous. And I keep hearing, oh, no, 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 RFK, the voice. No, the voice. Nobody, I don't even notice the voice anymore. Robert F. Kennedy. And you know who's he's impressing? Well, um, a lot of people, a lot of regular people, and uh, kind of importantly, some rich people out there. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter, uh, he's uh, he's praising this anti-establishment candidate. Um, hey, I've been tough on DeSantis from the early stages, but here's one thing I don't understand. And I've never actually worked in politics. I never ran a campaign or worked on a campaign. Oh, that's not true. I volunteered for Rudy Giuliani in 1989. I actually <laughs> I, I did. I, I handed out uh, flyers for him. I mean, it was uh, I was basically an intern and it only lasted a couple of weeks, but it was fun. And, but that's my experience working on the other side in politics. They're giving Ron DeSantis a hard time because he has too many employees working on his presidential campaign. Now, how many employees does he have? How many do you think is too many? Well, he had 92. 92. That doesn't seem like a big number to me somehow, if you're running for president of the United States. So what is, when you're running for president, you basically want to get 80 million people to do something for you, to vote for you. That's a lot of effort to get 80 million people to do one thing, come out and vote for you. And now there are multiple ways of voting. You just don't come out on election day. Maybe you have to vote by mail. Maybe you have to vote online. Maybe you have to do this. Maybe you have to do that. So it's complex. 92 people for something that's going to happen less than a year and a half from now? 
That sounds reasonable. There are my grocery store, Trader Joe's, has definitely more than 92 people. I mean, they've got like 92 checkout counters. Anytime you go in there, they got more than all kinds of employees. That's a grocery store. And all these insiders, these political insiders are giving. Now, I understand Donald Trump, he's a genius. He does most of the work himself. He doesn't need that kind of staff backup or whatever. But it doesn't seem to be that unreasonable to have like a 100 people working for you if you're running for president of the United States. It's um, it's kind of like a big corporation you basically have to form. I don't see that as a problem, but some people do. Uh, what's the other thing we were going to do? Uh, do I have the other thing? Uh, no, no. All right, we'll skip that for now. Um, and, uh, what about Trump? What is he? I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find, uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state and flipping the state is a great testament to our country because, you know, and there's, there's, there's just a, it's a testament that they can admit to a mistake or whatever you want to call it. If it was a mistake, I don't know. A lot of people think it wasn't a mistake. It was much more uh, criminal than that. But it's a big problem in Georgia. And it's, it's not a problem that's going away. I mean, you know, it's not a problem that's going away. And, and we got President, This is Ryan. We're yeah. looking into every one of those things that, that you mentioned. Uh, okay, and investigators, good. I but if you find them, you got to say it, Ryan. Look. If they let we're, me ask you, Ryan, if they're destroying ballots, let me tell you what we are seeing. Go ahead. Good. We, what, what we're seeing is not at all what you're describing. Okay. Uh, and it, these are investigators from our office. These are investigators from uh, GBI, um, and they're looking and they're good. And that's stop not for what a second. Seeing. I'm sorry, but if you're the president of the United States, and a couple of hillbillies from Georgia tell you everything's fine, I don't think you accept that. Oh, the GBI, and these people are good. These are the good guys at the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. I think he was getting the runaround from all these guys. Brad Raffensberger, Raff, Raffensberger, the Secretary of State, Mr. Integrity. Uh, Mr. President, we don't see it that way at all. These were these people had the backing of, well, more than the establishment. What's the word? The, I mean, the whole damned system. Everything. They all had their orders. Stop him. And some of it, I don't think the orders were out loud. I don't think they were in writing. But it just takes a, a look sometimes. Just a little look. A wink and a nod. That's, and these guys knew what to do. And they would take care of the rest. Hey, again, we praise the cops who, uh, started that task force and got, uh, Rex Hoyerman, uh, arrested him for the serial killer, right? He is the serial killer, in my opinion. The evidence seems overwhelming. It's amazing how quickly they were able to come to that determination. And by quickly, I mean, yeah, the last killing was that we know of was in September of 2010, 13 years ago. Well, Rodney Harrison, the new police commissioner, and Ray Tierney, the new district attorney, took office in January of last year. They said, we're starting a new task force, and they started it in February, and by March, they had the name Rex Hoyerman. Um, they should have had it. I mean, the previous regime, <laughs> a dozen years goes by, and they couldn't figure out. They had a description of the guy, six foot five. Uh, they had a description of the vehicle, and a, a Chevy Avalanche, dark colored. 
Uh, they knew as of 2012 from the FBI that the calls were emanating from two places with the burner phone, uh, Midtown Manhattan and Massapequa Park. Yeah, Massapequa Park. And I went through it. I had to go through it. 2.6 square miles. Massapequa Park is tiny. I guess 20,000 people live there. Just over 17,000 people live there. There are only 7,000 houses in all of Massapequa Park. I'm telling you, you, Diego, me, Rich, a couple of other guys, if we said, let's, let's, let's walk Massapequa Park and let's look at every single house and let's try to find an avalanche. Not only did this guy have an avalanche, he still has an avalanche. To this day, he had an avalanche. It was there on Friday. So we, we look for the avalanche. We look for the crummy house, or we look for the avalanche first, and then we see, oh, by the way, this is a weird house. This is the kind of house that a serial killer might live in. Sorry to profile, but isn't that what we're kind of supposed to do when it comes to profile? The FBI profilers are all over the place. I always see him on TV. I always see him taking laps. I always see these movies about him. When he's arrested, he'll be wearing a double-breasted turtleneck, and that's it. They're able to say, yep, I predicted that eight years ago. Terrific. Did you help us get the guy any faster? Well, no. If you go to the FBI website, they've got this whole big section of it. It's, it's almost exploitive, and it's almost like the mythology making. They've got some great technical people at the FBI. Hey, they figured out the box. They figured out Midtown Manhattan with the help of the NYPD, I might point out. And they also figured out the the, Man- the Massapequa Park. That's gold. That's gold. Why did they sit on it for so long? I think they didn't sit on it. They didn't know what they had. You put this stuff in a box. You put it in a shoebox. You put it in a room. I want to know if they had a full-time investigator assigned to this case the entire time. Out of frustration, you'd be like, let's just put everything we know up on the wall. Let's just put everything we know on one wall. How much did they know, really? Not much. You put it up on one wall, and you stare at the wall. You don't stare at a computer. The computer is interactive. You got to, you know, and, and, and before you know it, you're looking at the Internet. <laughs> you're just surfing around looking at stuff. It's a solitary thing. Imagine that, two or three guys, us, just looking at a wall. Okay, he's got to be in Massapequa Park. How do we know that? Because the FBI told us in 2012, hey, look at this. One of the witnesses, the pimp of Amber Costello, said the guy was six foot five, and he drove a Chevy Avalanche. Okay, we'll put that. We'll look for six foot five Chevy Avalanche, Massapequa Park. Let's go. How long do you think it would have taken us, the three of us? Seriously, I think it would have taken us a morning. Maybe a day and a half. So, finally it happened. But it should not have taken so long, and we all know that. Uh, hey, I, I know some of this stuff by just watching documentaries over the years. This is the A&E. It's called The Killing Season. It's called a The Killing Season. A second call pinged to Madison Square Garden, which is right above the New York City hub, the Long Island Railroad. Leading some to theorize, the caller was one of the thousands of Long Island commuters who work in Manhattan. <laughs> in a documentary years ago. So you get that into the equation. Where did Rex you know, live? Massapequa Park. Where do they work? Manhattan. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They had it on television. It was staring us in the face. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Hey, um, and Trump is going to win this thing. And one of the reasons why we have to uh, have him win, we got to help Israel. You know, Joe Biden is no friend of Israel. And he is so beholden to the left, the far left, and these crazies in the squad, they hate Israel. I mean, it's documented anti-Semitic. And quite frankly, I, I, I equate this to anti-Semitism. Pramila Jayapal, 
Up until this point, she's most famous for with it, being a drama queen on January 6th and putting a gas mask on her face. Cut eight. As somebody that's been in the streets and, and has participated in a lot of demonstrations, I think I want you to know that we have been fighting to make it clear that Israel is a racist state, that the Palestinian people deserve self-determination and autonomy, that the dream, that the dream of a two-state solution is slipping away from us, that it is not, that it does not even feel possible. It does not even feel possible. How dare this woman say racism? How dare she? Hey, by the way, has she been there? Has she been there? I wonder if she's been there. It's not, they're struggling to survive themselves. How dare she? Now, here she is kind of uh, trying to, uh uh-oh, I got a bit of a political uh, situation on my hand. Let me see if I can worm out of this some way. Congresswoman Japayapal. Cut nine. Settler violence that's happening in in Israel and the West Bank. Um, The uh, annexation of settlements that have been happening over the last several years. Netanyahu's uh, uh, collaboration with extreme right elements of, of Israel. And the fact that we are getting further and further away from the ability to actually legitimately talk about a two-state solution with security for um, and self-determination for both the Palestinian people and the Israeli people. And you know what? She's totally wrong about the two-state solution. People have been talking about that openly for a very long time, since the very beginning of this stuff. Wow. Wow. What a clueless person. But she's on the left, and uh, when you're on the left, you can be racist, you can be this, you can be that, and uh, it's all forgiven. Hey, we're going to hear from uh, some of the family members of the Marines and soldiers who were lost uh, in August of 2021. 2021, our horrible, horrific, catastrophic pullout from Afghanistan. These uh, Marines and soldiers should still be alive. The entire situation was mismanaged. No accountability whatsoever. Today, Congress is going to try to get some of that accountability. And uh, they're just great. Gosh, these uh, I'm looking at the pictures of the 13. And Joe Biden goes to the memorial and uh, looks at his watch. Because he can't get the hell out of there fast enough. Can't get the hell out of there. Uh, quite fast. And Barbara joins us once again. Hello, Barbara. Hi, Greg. How are you? Wonderful. Good, good. Yesterday I was starting to quote to you from uh, Benjamin Franklin because he agreed with you when you said that it will take Jesus to lead this country to a place where we're together again. Yes. And Benjamin Franklin. Yes, we cut you and the commercial came up. So take it away. What is it? Yes. Okay. It's a short one. He said he was speaking to the Constitutional Convention in 1787, and he said to them, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And without going into any more of that quote, that's exactly what we're talking about, that America has to come back to its roots, which is our belief in God and the rights that he gives us, and the natural rights that are the belonging of every man, woman, and child. Hey, what do you think? And that's beautiful, by the way, but, you know, look, I consider myself a tolerant person, right? I mean, we all, we're all beautiful, we all, right, we, we're all children of God, and, and we need God, but, you know, I'm, I'm the gay pride flags at the church, at the church. Now, I don't understand what that has to do with anything. And it feels very exclusionary to me. It feels like I am not welcome. It feels like I don't belong there. 
And it's all about all are welcome, all are welcome. You see, we have an LGBTQ plus IA uh, thingamajig out front. I saw one at a very, you know, what I considered a conservative, mainstream, regular church. And by the way, everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. But you don't have to hang the flag of their club out in front of the church. Yes, I, I've seen the same thing, and I feel the same way. And especially because, you know, I'm a Catholic, and the Catholic Church's stance is a biblical stance of Catholic teaching on marriage as between a man and a woman. However, as the bishops have said again and again, and priests in the parishes will say, everyone is welcome at the church. Whatever your lifestyle is, you're welcome to come and to pray and to learn and to be part of the church community. We will not, however, applaud and encourage a lifestyle that is contrary to the plan of God for mankind. It makes a lot of sense, and I don't know why they're doing it. Well, other than, uh, I don't know. I think they want it to fail in a weird way. They want they want to drive faith out of the equation. The state will take over, and uh, we're not going to have any of that. Any of that, Barbara. We're so glad that you exist and you listen and you you nourish us with your wisdom and the wisdom of uh, the ages as well. Thank you, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, news anchor James Slippin joins us, and uh, James knows everything about New York uh, State, New York City, and quite frankly, this doesn't come up all that much, although it does come up sometimes because, let's face it, there's a very foolish conversation happening in America about a lot of things, including race, including sexuality, quite frankly, and uh, race, they don't want to say the truth, but sexuality, they just can't stop talking about it. I think most people know how to do it, know what they like. Uh, They're good with that. They don't want their kids involved. Um, but the mainstream media insists on having a dopey conversation about race, and there was a, a a chapter of that in the New York Times this weekend. James, welcome back. Hey, Greg. I should point out why we uh, why you're you have special <laughs> insight into this because you happen to be a gay American. Yes, which does not necessarily come up. However, when we have an article like this. We got to let everybody know. You want to set it up? Do you know? Yeah, what I mean? sure. I mean, basically, what this uh, article was in the New York Times, written by a young man who is a baseball broadcaster, a play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals, I think, which is one of the Washington Nationals minor league affiliates. And he explained how he wrote a uh, piece for Out Sports, I think is the name of the publication, or yeah, uh, where he basically said, you know, he's he's gay, that he's a sportscaster, but he's gay. And he just wanted to be clear about that, I guess. He felt it was important to make that announcement. And he said in the article that it didn't really make any waves. You know, nothing really happened after that. But I guess he called um, some, maybe it was a lacrosse game or something like that. He called some sort of game that he describes as contentious. And then he got some hate mail after. It, it happens in the world of media. And uh, he said this. Yes, he writes it. Three years go by. He braced for a backlash. Nothing happened. This is the New York Times. He worked his way through up from internships to full-time broadcasting job. Uh, he simply showed up to work, pulled it, his headset over his ears, and described the action to the audience back home. Then a few days after the game you just mentioned, an email arrived. It was bilious. I think that's the word, bilious and ugly, filled with every... Gay slur you could think of, Box said. It also contained a threat. Don't show your face at Wingate again. You know what? In a weird way, this email is a sign of progress. 
He announces to the sports world, the gay sports world, that he's gay. He he announces to the world he's gay. Mm-hmm. And nothing happens for three years. Right. That's a sign of progress. Yeah. And finally, some crank weirdo wrote a stupid email. Well, you know, I mean, he's a crank weirdo. They're going to, we can't get rid of them. And plus, you know, the funny thing is you could look at it as a sign of progress for his career that he's getting hate mail, right? Like if you're getting to that level of prominence, where as a sportscaster, a radio host, TV guy, whatever, if somebody's giving you hate, that means you've made it to a certain position of success and prominence. Yes, and it just happens. But he does not feel entirely comfortable, and he, would, he must feel total and complete comfort. Doesn't happen in media. Doesn't happen anywhere. No. Doesn't happen in life. If you want to be comfortable, stay in bed all day long. True. And you got you got to get up. You're going to meet people who disagree with you. You're going to meet people who think you're uh, this, that, or the other thing. Who cares? I heard from, what's that guy's name, the, the preacher who's really good, uh, Joel Osteen, mm. that... Um, in life, something like 40% of the people you meet will automatically not like you. They'll just, they'll size you up and they will like, you can't worry. And Joel says, you can't worry about that, man. You just can't. And right. this guy, all right, so let's see. Then he tells his boss, what does he tell his boss or the guy who owns the team? Remember? Uh, but I don't know if I caught that part of it. So actually. they're out, they're just having a, a, a conversation at a rooftop bar. Okay. And uh, they're talking about all kinds of things, you know, sports, television. And in the middle of it, this guy goes, uh, you know, I'm gay, right? And the guy says, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. That's it. He's like looking for a problem. I think right. the phrase might be, I don't know if he has a chip on his shoulder, but it's starting to sound like he might have a chip on his shoulder. Anyway, look, we wish him luck in the, hey, uh, not for nothing. Um, he's got some work to do as far as uh, the sports casting stuff. I did a deeper dive. He's got some work to do. He's 24. He's where he should be. But, you know. You're going to be ready for the majors in about six to ten years. Good luck. It doesn't matter if you're gay.